Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to episode number nine of the Effortless Swimming podcast. Today, I've got Sam Ashby on the line, and Sam has won silver in the 100 Butterfly in the 2011 Australian Swimming Champs, and he was selected to go into the World Championships team. And he also finished 11th in the 100 fly at the 2011 World Championships in Shanghai. And uh, here he is, uh, my good friend, Sam Ashby. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you going? Good, thanks. So uh, the reason I wanted to get you on the call today is to talk about racing, taper, and leading up to competitions, because that's what you're going through at the moment, leading up to Olympic trials. Yep. So um, let's get started with um, with what you do for taper so and maybe explain taper for those that don't know what it is um i don't really like or first of all i don't really like to call it taper um i kind of like to more more think of it as fine tuning uh so but if you want yeah taper i suppose it is but i just like the i like the thought of just fine tuning myself um with like a couple weeks to go before i race so normally you'll start your taper on average, about three weeks out from your race, and you won't all of a sudden just go from doing like a hard, hard week to just dropping back and doing nothing. Normally, a taper for me will be a gradual thing. So, take for instance, um, just before taper, as a main set would be 10 50s, uh, sorry, 10 100s going 50 backhand speed, 50 easy on three minutes. Once we start taper, the first week I would drop down to say eight fifties, and then the second week I'd drop down to six fifties, and then the third week of taper I'd drop down to four fifties type of thing. So that's sort of how I do my taper. There's obviously different athletes and different things work for for them, um, but I like a gradual taper. If I just stop doing all the work all of a sudden for three weeks, that it um. I wouldn't be able to feel confident racing because I'd feel as though I'd lost fitness. And within those three weeks, usually what happens is the first week, because you're doing slightly less work, you'll freshen up a bit. The second week, you'll, your body will go not into shock, but it, will, it won't know what's happening because it's been used to getting pumped all season and being run down all the time. And then now it's starting to feel a bit fresh. So normally that second week, you'll go through a taper hole, as they call it, or yeah, taper hole, even though I don't like calling it a taper, um, or a bit of a ditch type of thing, a slump in your training, sort of your speed, you won't have it there. But then normally by the third week, you'll come out of that. Uh, and you'll be feeling on fire sort of thing. That's how it normally works within taper. Uh, obviously, there's different tapers. There's the drop taper, which is you pretty much work hard right up until four days before the meet, and then you'll just drop right back. And there's also another way of doing it, but that's a different training altogether where during the whole season, you only ever push yourself when you're 100% ready to go. Like if you're not on fire, you'll just t take it easy type of thing. So you're essentially, you're always rested, but that's a whole different sort of type of training that I don't do. So three weeks before a main meet, you you start to reduce the amount of, uh, I guess, volume that you do and the, the number of sets that you do in training in order to sharpen up and freshen up for, a, for the, the competition and your races. Yeah, definitely, but it's a gradual thing. It's not, yeah, it's not like I said, um, just drop right back three weeks out. It's more of a 
take, say, you go drop down to 80% of your um, total work then drop down to 60% of your total work in that second week and then drop down to 40% of your total work in that third week type of thing. Mm. And you, you mentioned also that the first week or two, you your body doesn't really know what it's doing and it you tend to go into a little bit of a hole or you, you don't feel like you, you're swimming that well. And mm-hmm. then by the third week, you come good and you know what it's like to go fast and race and, and your body's ready for it. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely how it works. Mm. I was talking to um, Ian Pope yesterday and he was saying that his his guys are in their second week of taper at the moment so they've got one to go but he was saying that they're swimming pretty pretty crap at the moment because they're in that hole but he knows that within a week's time they'll be ready ready to go so yeah exactly exactly so take for instance this morning uh we had our main set which was dive 35 front end speed of 100 we swim off through the 100 and then we there we have that as much rest as we want and then we get up and we do a dive 35 swim through the 100 on two minutes and then we do a push back in 50 when mal schlanger not sure if you guys know her but she went to the 2008 olympics and she'll almost definitely be going to the 2012 olympics she's the fastest rank 100 freestyle in australia at the moment normally for her back end speed she'll be able to push 26s comfortably like without a problem uh 20 yeah anywhere from 26.2 to 26.8 um this morning she was pushing 28s <laughs> so she was quite a bit off but she's very experienced swimmer and she knows that it's not the lack of training that that's doing this it's just her body going through an adaptation and for those guys that don't know what we mean by back end speed that's the that's a type of um I guess intensity or speed that you go within a set. So if you're going 100 back end speed, you want to be going that the same time as you would in the last 50 of your 100 when you get your PB. You want to go that time in training. So it's just a good way to practice um, practice swimming at race pace. And I know you guys do a lot of that, don't you, Sam? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the whole basis of our program really is to be able to try to hit uh, back end speed as many times as possible within different types of sets. Sometimes we'll be doing sets with a lot of rest. Sometimes we'll be doing sets with not much rest. But the aim is to always simulate that back-end 50, if not time-wise, effort-wise, every single time, and skill-wise as well. And when you're doing that back-end speed in training, do you find yourself visualizing yourself in the race and picturing yourself uh, definitely definitely that's the easiest way i find to keep your motivation levels up and to motivate yourself to keep going when it's hurting you just got to think all right i'm going to be racing jeff hugel andrew lauderstein uh chris Wright, all the top dogs in australia for hunter butterfly and i know that i've got to have the strongest back end if i'm going to make it onto the team so i just keep reminding myself that every time i do a back end 50 that i've got to be the one coming home the fastest yeah that's right it's a great way to push yourself really hard at the end of a set like in our in our set yesterday where I was coaching I just kept reminding the guys when it came down to our last 50 for the set I'd say this is your last 50 for the the 200 or the 100 whatever work we are doing and you know they really push themselves that little bit extra when they think of it that way well once you remind yourself of why you're doing it there's no you, you don't ever question yourself and you were saying um last time I spoke to you that your coach Glenn he'll he'll often remind you of um you know of, of why you're doing it in a set which will push you he'll say you know this is what you're doing to to get to the the olympics or you know you've got hugo next to you this is where you've got to come over the top of him or something like that yeah definitely definitely and like as much as you're hurt like you'll be hurting you'll be stinging that lactate will be up but 
you've still got to remember that the last three strokes, you don't want to be taking a breath into the wall. Off your turn, you want to be doing 11 kicks. And those are the types of things that are very important when you start to hurt because those are the things you can still control. And with, uh, with your sleep, do you, do you end up getting a bit more sleep during your, your taper or your fine-tuning period? Um, up and down. Some days I'll find that like because I haven't done as much work that day, I won't be able to sleep at night. I'll struggle to sleep at night. But then other days I'll be getting more sleep than I normally do when I'm in hard training. And it's just, yeah, it's just your body just going a bit crazy because it's not used to what's, what's happening sort of thing. Mm. And coming down to race day, what a, how do you start your race day? From the moment that you wake up? I'll wake up and I will go have a Barocca and I'll have my Weet-Bix with peaches or bananas. I'll probably have a coffee as well. And then I'd like to – You, ha- it's ideal for, uh, for your race that, especially in the mornings, that you're up three hours before your race time. So if I was racing at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'd be wanting to wake up at 7 o'clock or before 7 o'clock. If I – if I was racing at 8 o'clock in the morning, I'd want to be getting up probably around 5, 5.30 type of thing just because it takes three hours for your bo- your core body temperature to heat up to um, its natural levels. So I'll wake up, make sure it's three hours before my race, have brekkie, um, probably get to the pool maybe two hours before my race so I can do my dry land, um, which is just uh, activation with stretch cords and doing a bit of core and ab activation. I'll do some I'll do a lot of stretching and just a little bit of power movements like some squat jumps and possibly some chin-ups if there's a chin-up bar around. If not, I'll jump on the stretch cords. And then obviously I'll go talk to my coach before I hop in the warm-up. I'll do my warm-up and get my coach to get some 25 for 100 meters. I'll get my coach to just get my um, dive 25 times. Ideally, you'd want to be warming up um, you would want to be getting out of your warm-up 40, 20 to 40 minutes before your race, um, any longer than that, and you start losing the effects of your warm-up. And what does your, um, what's your warm-up look like for a 100 fly? The morning warm-up is different to the night warm-up purely for the fact that I feel as though in the morning I just need to do a little bit more work just to get the body up and moving and um, wake it up a bit. So in the morning, I'll just a 400 jump in, do a 400 freestyle, just loosen off a bit. Then I might do two 100s uh, medley, fly back breast free, just to just change it up a bit, get the heart rate going. Um, then I'll jump on to the kickboard and I'll do a minimum of 200 meters kick up to 400 meters kick just to warm the legs up as well. Then I'll jump over to um, the pool boy I'll put my pool boy on, paddles on, and snorkel on, and I'll do some underwater fly pull-throughs. So that's just um, laying out with your arms in front of your body and then just pulling through with two arms like a butterfly stroke, but I'm not going to swing my arms over the top. So I'll just bring them back underneath me again. Um, So I'll do probably 100 metres of that, and then I'll probably do 425s fly pull with the paddles. And then I would go into 450s of drill. And then after the 450s of drill, I'd do 225s, 15 meters underwater, then explode strokes. And then I might do some speed, two more 25s of speed drill, which is freestyle legs and butterfly arms with your head up. 
just to get that explosiveness going. And then I'd do some dive 25s with my coach and then I'd swim off 50 meters. Um, at night, I'd probably normally half all of that. Mm. But I also do, um, I don't really, I don't count how much I'd ever do in warm-up. It's mainly just how I feel. Like I'll, I always base I base off how I'm feeling and what I what I think my body needs. So I can in the morning I can do more than that. I probably wouldn't do much less than that. Um, and at night sometimes I might even only do 400 meters, which is like not very much at all. But I would, like like I said, I, would, I know my body and I know know what it needs type of thing. So, but I can do more than that as well. It just it, yeah, it's, every time it's different. But I have a sort of skeleton outline of what I'd like to do. So in the morning, you just do a few hundred meters to, to warm up, get the body going. Then you do some skills with your kick and pull and then quite a bit of activation work with the, um, with the paddles and your speed work and some dives and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I think, I find, I think it's very important that you do use all the tools, like you can call it your tools and your kit type of thing. Like we do a lot of that sort of stuff in training to help us feel our stroke and get our stroke activated. I don't see why you shouldn't do that in your warm-up before your race because it's a very good way to isolate each area and warm that area up up specifically. Yep, definitely. And I think think with the kick too, that's really important because – you know, if you're doing if you're doing sprints, fifty, hundred, or even two hundred, you need to have your legs warmed up. So isolating the legs is is really important, and then also for the your arms. So with the the big paddles on, getting them going and and filling the water um, with some power. Yeah, hundred percent. I never used to do kick, and my legs would always seem to just blow up during the race, and I wouldn't know why. And then I figured out that you always should like a take because your legs are the biggest muscles you have in your body. Like you need to warm them up, you need to get them going, type of thing. Yeah, and I think even to the point where your where your legs are you know, a little bit a um, little bit stu- stuffed in the warm up, like you're, you're working them reasonably hard. Yeah, you give them a little bit of a burn so they know what to expect, type of thing. You're not just gonna go in there and let like if they just go into a race not knowing what to expect, like it's gonna blow up a lot easier and a lot more. Yeah, that's right, and I think that's probably one of the c- most common things that I see with swimmers when they're warming up is they don't put their body in the same state that it's going to be in when you're racing. So the first time it comes to being shocked is in the race and that's not what you want. You want to no. know, have it know what to expect. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And so what about when you, you come to the race, what is it you focus on? I like to just, I love listening to music. Music's a great way for me to just relax and focus on myself. Um, I don't try to think about too much. I've already got a race plan down pat that I've been using for years and I know that I'm going to take 18 strokes on the way down and 20 strokes on the way back. So I don't, I don't really think about that at all. I know my, I know that my stroke's going to take care of itself. I like to think of going down strong, coming home fast. That's all I, that's all I tell myself, um, before the race type of thing, going down strong, but not using too much energy and then coming home fast. That's all. That's all I need to know for the race. Yeah, that's and um, that's something we've been practicing in training. Is um, you know we also call it easy speed, where you you do your dives and you're going 25 or 35 or 40 meters fast, and you're working yeah. on going fast, but not using much much energy and just staying relaxed. And that's the same as you want for a hundred meter race. Yeah, yeah. Well, you see, um, guys like Maggie James Magnuson, they 
have they just have that easy speed going out, and then they just storm home over the top of everyone, and that's that's the way I like to uh, race my races. Yeah, you've typically got a, a pretty fast back end speed for your hundred, and I think um, that's a big advantage you've got over some of the other guys. Is you come home really strong, and I, you know maybe that's due to the fact that you're going out, um, staying a bit more relaxed, and then you can come home, you've got more energy, and finish off strong. Yeah, I think that's the trade-off from if you're not going out as fast, you need to be coming home stronger than everybody because you're going to be behind at the 50. But the trade-off is in that lo- in those last 15 metres where everyone starts to sting and really slow down, you're still maintaining the same speed. And I think that's very important to be maintaining your speed into that last 15 metres. Absolutely. And then uh, once you've raced in the morning, you've got a final at night, how much recovery would you normally do? I would jump out, I'd speak to my coach probably or I'd go get a lactate from one of the sports scientists, I'd jump in and I'd do minimum 800 metres and in that 800 metres I would do, I'd get in and do 400 metres at a like a strong pace, I wouldn't just jump in and flop around and go really easy So because I need my uh, muscles to be working to remove that lactate so I'd do a strong 400. Um, obviously not the same strong speed as I was just doing my 100-meter racing. <laughs> um, and then I'd have a rest and then I'd probably do three 100s going 25 fast, 75 easy just to spike spike your muscles and spike that lactate so you're um, still removing it. And then you do eight hundred another 100 meters of just easy swimming, maybe, um, maybe even jump on the kickboard again. Um, I'd hop out and then normally the sports scientist guys have an ice bath available to us. Obviously not not everybody has that, but I would jump into the 12-degree water for 8 to 12 minutes just to sort of flush flush the excess lactate out of the muscles um, through using the cold to uh, sort of contract the muscles. And uh, the, the last sort of question I had in was uh, in regards to goal time. So... Do you set your goal time that you want to go for the main race of the season? You, you set that at the start of the season and do you really yeah. focus on that throughout your training or is it, it just sort of comes with the training that you do? That's, that's a tough one. I, I tend to put a, a big challenge in front of myself and um, a lot of the time I always seem to fall short um, just because I have a lot of expectation on myself. But normally if you set your expectations high and you fall just short, the results normally pretty good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I set a goal time at the start of the season, and I I've worked out in training the splits that I need to, um, the times that I need to hold to achieve my goal time. And I believe that you need to be able to hit your goal time fifty percent of the time you train uh, when the set allows you uh, to be able to hit that time. Obviously, there are going to be times where you're going through um, through adaptations and through holes and you're not feeling well because you run down. Um, but if you can hit your times 50% of the time, um, no matter what condition you're in, I think you're on the right track to achieving your time type of thing. So you break it down into smaller chunks so you know your, your splits that you need to do. Yeah, definitely. So I know... I know what time I need to go when I'm doing dive 25s. I need. I know exactly what time I need to do when I do a dive 35. I need, I know what time I have to do when I do push back end 50s, and I know I need to take off a second and a bit because of the butterfly turn. So for butterfly and breaststroke, whatever your goal back end speed is, you need to take off a minimum of 1.2. Um, I I like to think 
of taking off 1.5 just to um, allow for just having that extra rest on the wall type of thing. So yeah, we've worked out what my rating needs to be for each lap. We work out how many kicks I need to do. We've, yeah, we, we break it down to every minute thing you can type of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that, that's the difference, isn't it, between the, the pros and the the people who are sort of just behind that is they they know everything about what they've got to do. Oh, it's it's definitely age group swimming as opposed to open swimming. Mm. Um, other small differences, like as an age grouper, I, I can contest with, like you just swim and it just comes to you. As an open swimmer, it's not as easy as that and it took me a long time to work out how to become an open swimmer and how to act like a professional athlete type of thing. It doesn't come easy and... But once you learn how to do it, it everything becomes easier because you want to do it. Um, one thing I've noticed is you're a lot more obviously professional and a lot more strategic about your racing and your training and things like that. Like it's just um, it's stepped it up a whole another notch, and it's pretty awesome to watch. Yeah, and it's it's exciting to do, and it's it you get a bit nervous obviously, and it's fun though. Like you you put yourself out there and um, see what happens. That's it. Well, uh, best of luck for um, the next. A week or two with Olympic trials, and we can't wait to watch your racing. And it's going to be very exciting trials, and then um, Olympic Games coming up in August. So, um, yeah, hope you swim well. And uh, I know you've done the work for it, so we're looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks, mate. You're welcome. We'll uh, catch up with you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.